for tuning in Twisted Youngins, and we are the most unorthodox show on the globe. We hope everybody's having a good day today. I am one of your hosts, Myra B. King. And this is Desi Dez. And it's your boy Mojo in the building. We have a special guest with us today, so let the people know who you are. Now, thank you for having me. My name is Klaus Marte, and I'm the CEO and founder of Combody. Absolutely. Could you say that one more time? I'm the my name is Cost Marte, and I'm the CEO and founder of Combody. Combody, congratulations Combody. for that, man. Absolutely, man. Um, let's start it off. Where are you from? Uh, so I'm from New York City, uh, oh. specifically. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a different neighborhood now. You know, most of the neighborhoods that you, we used to call hoods are are being gentrified. So, mm. you know, that's what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Okay. And what was it like growing up out there? Like, you know, everybody hears the, you know, the natural stories, you know, old, you know, New York, you know, crime city and everything like that, you know, drug city and everything like that. How about, you know, how was it out there? Yeah, I mean, growing up in the in this neighborhood, it was very, very drug infested. You know, as a kid, I would see people like lining up like there were dope lines down the block. You know, it was it was drugs was pretty much legal. You know, basically heroin was everywhere. Um, you know, I saw people from one corner lined up to the next corner, you know, and it was, you know, you see cops driving by and they, they wouldn't even turn a blind eye because they didn't want to get in, into any situation. You know what I mean? And that's how it was. You know, every 10 steps I saw heroin either on the ground. Um, and, and that's what I grew up seeing. And the people that were ser serving these people were, you know, some of my cousins, some of my family members, you know, who I grew up seeing uh, making money. Um, you know, I didn't have any money. My mom uh, immigrated from the Dominican Republic when she was pregnant with me. And we ended up in this neighborhood where most of my family lived. Mm. And so it was uh, like like a, a project complex? Yeah, the projects was around the corner. We li I lived in a, a tenement building. And so uh, it so my neighborhood was like the first, they used to call it the first ghetto in, 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 in the whole country, you know? So they, all the Jewish people uh, lived down here in these small tenement apartments. Our, our apartments were so small that our, our bathrooms were part of the kitchen. Uh, I didn't grow up with no, no, uh, no sink. You know, we, we basically brush our teeth in the, in the bathtub, you know? There's, there's, uh, there's still buildings out here where we share, you know, the toilet in the hallway. Um, mm. Yeah, the, things. That's how that that's how it was. It, they, the tenement apartments was just like small little ghettos. Um, you know, first uh, immig immigrated people were were the Jewish people coming into this neighborhood, and then um, in the seventies, sixties, seventies, it became primarily Puerto Rican, Dominican, blacks. You know, mm. and then Chinatown. And so you, oh, you said that uh, your neighborhood is changing through gentrification. Like, what is, uh, you know, how it's looking? Like, you know, what's the difference? How you grew up to now? It's crazy. I mean, every, you know, back then I saw uh, heroin needles everywhere. Now I'm seeing uh, art galleries everywhere. You know, I'm seeing uh, <laughs> latte cafes everywhere. You know what I mean? So, uh, Poodle walking, you know, this is what I'm seeing. And, and, and white people, you know, we see people from, uh, you know, that, that are coming in here. They think it's cool to be in the city and they're moving out here and they're raising up the rent. 
you know. So uh, the the problem we're facing is that you know where in the early two thousands when it was really getting starting to get gentrified, the landlords saw that they could charge a, a premium price for these small apartments. When we were paying, my family was paying, my mom's still paying 700 bucks for a two bedroom down here. Um, but, you know, back then, you know, when they started moving in, they started charging 1500. Now, now my mom's apartment is worth 4,000 ounce, you know, and, they, and, and in the early 2000s, they were trying to give her 20 G's to move out. And, uh, and that was 20 G's to her was like, yo, I'm getting 20 G's to move out of the hood, you know? And so she was thinking about like, I'll take that money and buy a house. But when you start thinking about it, you take that 20 G's, you put a down payment on a, you know, a $200,000 house, you know, then, then the monthly payments for the next 25, 35 years are way more than the $500 of rent that you were paying. You know, now you're paying $1,500. Now you're fucking up your mortgage because you can't you know, work your balances or your finances out. Um, so that that's how people get tripped up. You know, that's how people get broke. And then now the, the neighborhood is just like, I would say probably 80% white. Mm. Why did um why did the neighborhood look like that with the needles and stuff on the ground? Like it was uh because it was poor? Did all uh, did all the businesses leave? You know, like how how was it before that? It was, there was not a lot of businesses. There was a few businesses, but not as, not as busy right now, like mm -hmm. how it is now. Um, back then was, I don't know, there was the, it, the streets were crumbled up, you know, uh, I guess New York City was in a deficit. We're talking about like Mayor Dinkins era, you know, all, all that like eighties, early nineties. Uh, there was no funding, you know, and then Giuliani came, he started locking up everybody with the stop and frisk, uh, you know, policies that he started putting. So I remember going to school, high school, I was getting stopped going to school, you know, in church, you know, getting locked up before going to school, you know, for a bag of weed. Uh, now you could smoke a, a blunt in front of the precinct and, you know, they, the police officer is going to say hi to you, you know, especially if you're white, you know, so. It's just a crazy concept right now. And it's just, it's messed up that we had to pay for that when we were young. Mm -hmm. Yes, extremely. And I can imagine like the circumstances of, you know, like you said, seeing heroin, heroin needles on the ground, people lined up, um, coming from poverty, not having a, a bathroom sink, really having to brush your teeth in the tub. Of course, on your mind was was making some money, like get finding a way to get you and your family out of there, right? Means. Yep. Yep. And as, as a kid, I'm worried about myself, you know, like it was not, you know, my mom, thank God, she always put food on the table. You know, we, we had, we were on welfare, we were on, you know, food stamps, all that stuff. You know what I mean? So we, thank God she made it work with the means necessary, but I didn't have no clothes. You know, she was going to Salvation Army. I was getting the hand-me-downs from cousins and all that stuff. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was money hungry. You know, when, when people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would tell them I want to be rich, you know? And, and so I, I did any type of work, hustle. I remember being five years old, carrying a big ass black garbage bag, going from apartment to apartment, knowing that everybody's drinking beer, I'm collecting every can, going to the bodega for five cents per can, 
you know, and, and collecting like five bucks, you know, and that's, that was it, you know, and I'm in the summertime, I'm turning on the fire hydrant, I'm playing the cards, you know, and that was my hustle. And I, I just, any, any opportunity I had, I, I took advantage of it, but the world of drugs was where I saw, you know, the quickest money. And, and that's where I thought, you know, success was. When you were talking about the story of uh, when you were young and how um, when you first started selling drugs, how you all were staying around the clock like 24 seven, wouldn't go home for three days, you know, wouldn't shower. What, what were those times like? I, I was my mindset was just time is money and I still have that mindset, but I, I, I'm not. You know, I feel like time is life right now you know, and, and just take advantage of every second that I, I'm alive, you know, because it, it's so short. I've seen a whole bunch of friends and, and people that I know, you know, lose their life, especially, you know, during these times in COVID and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to see people go. But, um, you know, back then, I mean, back, I didn't want to leave the block, you know, because it was just those junkies coming up on the block every second. You know, and, and I had the best work out there. I was not cutting my stuff and people, word of mouth, you know, drug addicts were just, you know, coming back and forth. And, and so that was, that was my, my boy, my boys and I, like, mindset was just like time is money and we ain't got time to waste. And our friends that were out there smoking weed, we were like, get mad at them because they were just wasting their life away just smoking weed, you know, not doing nothing, not making any money, begging for a dollar, you know, scavenging when we lit up an L. And, and so we had all those friends start hustling for us. And so that, that became where we started the whole like delivery service uh, concept. Yeah. And Speak I mean, about that. Yeah. Cause you said that when you all started to deliver, well, when you all made uh, the business cards and you all, was it the happy endings you all put on it? You say you all saw your target market boom out the roof and you all started getting more clientele. Yeah, Just I mean, targeting your, your business, finding a way to market your business that way. Yeah, we, we came up, we were a little bit, um, we were fearless, you know, to go up to random strangers and be like, I got this 24 hour drug delivery service. I'm selling Coke, I'm selling weed. You know, and um, and we just gave out our business cards, you know, and, and the word of mouth just got out there. We started going after a different target market. We, we didn't go up to, you know, I was, uh, when I grew up, I was selling crack. You know, I stopped selling crack. You know, I was selling grants for $50. Now I got, you know, white people coming up to me to buy $100 a gram, you know, so the profit margins like grew. Um, and it was just a whole different system. Um, it was, it was, it was easier because we didn't have to deal with, you know, the hood beef, you know, you cross the turf and all this, all, you know, all the bullshit that we had to deal with, you know, with, you know, people's egos and stuff like that. It was like, I'm, we're, we're dressing up in suits. We're going up to people with professional jobs. We're dealing to like judges, lawyers, doctors, you know, uh, there's stories that could get crazy. I'm not even gonna get deep, you know, to the people that we sold drugs to, but it was really crazy professionals that, you know, what, didn't give us any trouble and they gave us more money than what we needed sometimes. So 
I was gonna say. I mean, clearly it worked for you. We talking about about a little over two million from nineteen to twenty three. I mean, that's a crucial point in time in your life. You know, that's a crucial time in the point for any young uh, blooming adults, male or female. How does it like to have that type of cash K at that point in time and to be living in that point? We were, uh, I mean, there's just so, it, it, so many flashbacks comes in my head when, when I think about like, you know, going into the Louis Vuitton store on Fifth Avenue and just spending mad crazy money and just going out there and just having, buying all our friends Jordans, you know, uh, you know, I came home from prison with 500 pairs of Jordans. <laughs> so, like, uh, you know, they, they, it was just a crazy, crazy time, you know, and just spending money, driving the craziest car. My, my car was, gotcha, sorry. Um, my, my car was, I had, you, you remember the Dub Magazine? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, most people, the youngins don't remember the dub magazine, but you know, we we had I had the twenty-two inch gold rims, Cadillac Fleetwood, mm. fucking excuse my language, all types of TV on it and the loudest mm. system block just making it mad hot per white seats. Um, you know, just thinking I'm a pimp, you know, because it is a suit. So yeah. you would think you was a pimp, so you had women galore. Uh, yeah, and that was a lot of money. A lot of money went to women too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Around Man. that age, what would you say at that point in time was your, at that moment, what was your most wildest purchase? If you can remember. Uh, we, we went straight to the Cadillac dealership for a presidential Escalade, $88,000 in cash. Mm -hmm. uh, How old was you at that time? Uh, I might have been like 21, maybe. Wow, like 21. Wow. So you're uh, 21, you go in there 80-some cash. Like yeah, cash. And then the dealer robbed us for a G. Because mm. we had a counter machine, so we went over there and uh, and we put the cash on the table. And then they called us back. It was like, there's $1,000 missing. We, we didn't count right. I'm like, nah, we counted this shit in the machine. We know we got bands on it. You know what I mean? So, uh, but we were like, whatever, here you go. We didn't want to problem. Give me the car. We picked it up and we balanced. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was shit like that. How did it happen? Like, how did they, how did the, the how did the downfall happen? How did they catch you lacking? Because most people out here, you know, they hear wiretaps and all of that other good stuff or, you know, um, informants and everything like that. How did it happen with you? How did they catch? Somebody snitched. Yeah, somebody snitched, you know, and and end of the day, somebody snitched. But it was a, a deeper story. I mean, like uh, we had a dispatcher uh, at that time. I had seven cell phones because each phone only held 2,500 contact numbers mm -hmm. is when we have. You know, so we, you know, now iPhones, you can hold, you know, you have unlimited data, you can hold thousands and thousands of contact numbers. But back then we were limited to, you know, having, and it was crazy how we had to deal with the texting back then, you know, so, we, you know, we had the one, two, three. So like, if you're trying to type an A, you have to hold down the A and B and C. So uh, we had a whole texting service too. So I had, I had an actual person, you know, texting like 24 hours a day and we had a dispatcher 
Um, we were texting people deals across our, our network through the cell phones. Um, so my dispatcher basically went behind my back and started a new phone line. And he, uh, he started his new phone line, started stealing my customers. And one of my customers that had my personal number calls me. He's like, hey, yo, you're giving up this, uh, this work. You know, this product is not the same product that you guys, and it's coming in a green bag. And I'm like, we don't sell no green bags. And so he was like, yeah. And, and they gave me a new card with it. And I'm like, what? What's that? What's the number on it? And so he gave me that number. I called that number. And it was a one of my dispatchers that was working. And so he picks up. And he gets scared. He's like, yo, I'm like, yo, what the fuck? And he, he hungs up, hangs up. So I had to connect with in the team. These are all like prepaid T-Mobile stores back then. And so we just flipped all the phone numbers back to new phones. And so um, I took that phone number, I flipped it. And so now I'm making deliveries with that phone number, just thinking because this dispatcher stole, you know, my clients from it. So I'm just sending people over with people that were calling that number, not knowing that he gave out his cards to a federal agent or some shit like that. And so now that phone's being tapped. And so now we're sending, you know, all my people and they had about 40 undercover sales. Uh, and at the end of my drivers, um, basically told them where, where the stash was at. Um, and, and basically, when the when the D's came, um, they caught me going into the stash house, and that's when they raided me. Mm. How much did they catch in the stash house? Uh, so about a kilo and a half. Mm. So, um, talk to me about Rikers Island. Um, we hear a yeah. lot about that the horrific um, conditions of Rikers Island. You know, it's infamous. Uh, a lot of stars has been to Rikers Island uh, at, and not only stars, but a lot of people lost, has lost their life um, in Riker, Rikers Island. Um, talk to me about Rikers Island. I mean, Rikers Island was uh, crazy. I spent like about a year and a half of my life in Rikers. I've been there three times. Um, as a youth, you know, it, it was it was different, and I mean, it's I guess you know I haven't been inside for the last I don't know more. I haven't been in like Island since twenty two oh nine. So um, things have changed, and it's just it's it, it, in the beginning when I went in there it was scary. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I went to I've been to juvenile before that, and then I went in there, and you know you got gangs asking you if you with it or not. You know, and you know, you you either like get taken advantage of, or you or you fight. And I had a fight. You know, those days I had a fight almost every single day um, because I was gang. Um, but that that was like more of a youth side. When I got into the adult side, it was a little bit calmer. But you know, jail politics still exists. Um, gang politics still exists. Um, I was sneaking in drugs, you know, I was getting my friends to come visit me and, you know, pass me stuff in the visiting room. I'm selling weed in there, I'm manipulated an officer to bring shit for me. So it's, it's, it's a corrupt place. Um, and then it's, it's a nasty place because yeah, everything, there's a lot of decapitation happening in the facilities, you know, it's a really old facility. Hmm. 
you know, all they do, they, there's, there's got to be asbestos and all that stuff coming off the wall. They basically just paint over it, you know. Uh, there's bugs, you know, crawling on top of you that, you know, when I was there, uh, and I remember in 2005, when I was there, um, there was, there was one night that I got up and it, it was like a, like a horror movie, the amount of mices you saw, there was about a thousand mice, you know? So I used to be, you know, we're in a dorm room, 50 men, uh, beds side by side, you know, and, you know, in the middle of the night, you don't want to, you don't want to get up because these mice is, you know, might bite you, you know, you never oh, know. So grabbing yourself in the blanket and you're like trying to sleep, hold your pee until the, you know, the light comes on and, and the rats go away. So mm. that's how. Do you think the, uh, the conditions in Rikers Island and many other jails, do you think they're too harsh for the inmates? I think um, you know we 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 call we call these facilities correctional facilities, mm. and when we define that word correcting, uh, none of that stuff is happening in there. You know, we 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 don't we, what we think is uh, corrective is is punishment, and punishment is not going to help or correct the problem. It's going to make it worse. You know, when somebody hits me, I want to hit them back. Mm. You know. Um, if we had more opportunities in there, you know, now they're starting to bring like programs in there and, uh, we're actually going inside, you know, teaching, uh, how to be a personal trainer and stuff like that. We're trying to recruit people from Rikers Island right now. Um, and we're, we're actually pending still. So, uh, we're waiting to go inside, but we were doing that pre pandemic right before the pandemic, we were going inside. Um, but there was no programs when I was there. There was not nothing to do. You're basically sitting in your cell. You're going out there. You're dealing with the jail gang politics, um, or you're playing like spades or dominoes, you know. And that was like a waste of time and waste of life, you know. And, and and if I had an opportunity or something, you know, opened up where I had like some type of educational transitional services or prepare me for what I had to deal with when I came home, you know, I would have definitely taken advantage of it, but there was nothing like that. Then when you get out of jail, you're facing the same problems because they didn't teach you nothing and you, you, it was no correction being done. Exactly. Exactly. And, and basically, uh, when you go upstate into prison, um, because Rikers Island is a jail where you like waiting to get sentenced. Um, when you get at, when you're towards the end of your prison sentence, you have transitional services program. You know that basically the transitional services program is like a 1989 class. You take a piece of line paper. They tell you you're gonna make your resume with this. They give you a ruler. You know you draw lines and you make a resume with a piece of number two pencil <laughs> and. Uh, and a piece of paper, you think I'm gonna go to a job interview no. uh, with a piece of paper like that? Like, they're not, they don't have no computers, they're not, you have no internet, you know, you don't even fill out applications, you know, with a, or, or submit a resume with a piece of paper anymore. You have to upload it on a computer, you know? So they, they, they setting you up for failure, 
Yeah, you know, especially you laughing in your face, got you drawing lines. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, while you're in there around this, I mean, around um, at what point in time? I ain't gonna say at what point in time. How did it feel for doctors to come to you, tell you, hey, you're overweight, your cholesterol's bad, you probably only got about five years left to live? At that point in time, what were you thinking? Like, well, I just, you know, I'm gonna let it go, or you know, I gotta fight, I gotta do something. I, I, I my first thought in my mind was like these people are bullshit you know i'm I'm 24 years old i'm not gonna die in prison i'm i'm okay you know like i feel okay you know um but when i start started thinking and i'm like nah these people got my blood work you know they called me out of you know, hundreds of inmates or thousands of inmates in that facility down to a medical unit, you know, these people are telling me the truth, you know, and, and what the, the physician there that sat me down, she was like, you know, you have a couple, we have a couple recommendations. You either like eat correctly and they put me on a special diet. Basically they took, you know, three. So they give you four pieces of bread every meal. They gave me one piece of bread every meal. Uh, so it was starving me basically. And then uh, they were telling me to work out, you know? And, and so I started working out obsessively. And, you know, I started going out to the yard, running, uh, going back to my cell, doing all types of calisthenic, you know, body weight exercises. <clears throat> I eventually lost over 70 pounds in six months. And that's what inspired you to um, start your business, your, your gym? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, what, what really inspired me to start my business was, um, you know, I helped over 20 MA2s over a thousand pounds combined. So I, I had this idea. I didn't think I was going to like start a business behind it, but it was now towards the end of my incarceration where I ended up in, in, in the box in solitary confinement. And I had a, I felt like I had a spiritual awakening um, that really made me consider like what I really wanted to do when I came home. You know, I, I started changing my mindset instead of, I felt, I felt so much regret um, for what I've done and for my family being, you know, hurt and harmed through my, the, the stuff that I've done in my life. And I was like, I want to get back to society in a more positive way. So this is where the idea came, came about. And I wrote a, a, a mini business plan while I was in solitary confinement. And then I was released out to the world and, and I basically did what I wrote. You know, I started going out to the park. Uh, I started going up to females wearing yoga pants and, and just started pitching them, telling them I got like a prison style boot camp. And, um, and, uh, and it's, I dragged one person, two people, three people, four people. And, you know, today we've trained over 70,000 people. Congratulations. Congratulations, brother. Yeah, you said um at well, one let point, him finish. Let him finish. No, I just said it's been it's been a crazy journey. You know, it's been a crazy journey. Yeah. Was they scared when you was coming up to them? Like, man, what the prison style boot camp? Yeah, no, some people were like, yo, what the fuck? You know, like they put, you know, they just keep moving, you yeah. know. But I I was relentless, man. I was just going up, I was going to the subway making announcements. I was uh, jogging next to people and then starting a whole conversation, you know, sharing my story, giving them my business card. Um, and then I was, uh, I had a couple of people that I know. My mom was my first client. <laughs> uh, she was now paying, you know, she basically gave me a discount on the rent for the couch. But, um, 
you know, I had her out there, I had one of her friends out there, and then it just started growing. You know, people attract people when you see other people working out in your group and you started, you know, I remember like doing pull-up bar training up with this little piece of pipe that I had between fences and and then people were like, oh, can I, you know, what when do you do classes and inquiring and all this stuff? And and then uh it started growing. We we did we've been doing a documentary actually right now for the last uh, eight years with a four-time Academy Award director. Um, and that documentary should be coming probably up next year. Congratulations, Congratulations. again on that, man. Yeah. Go ahead, plug your business real quick. Like, Please um, do. Go, uh, let everybody know what the name of it is again, where it's currently located. Yeah, so we're in the Lower East Side of New York City. My um, company is called Conbody. That's C-O-N, as in Nancy, B-O-D-Y, dot com. Uh, check me out on IG. You, you already know, my name is Carl Smarte. Uh, hit me up, work out with us virtually. We have a platform for $14 a month where we have all types of videos. And what we do is hire people coming out of the prison system to teach these fitness classes. So all you need is your little small nine by six prison cell space at home in more constrained space, your body weight and your favorite, you know, formerly incarcerated individual to get that prison body you always retired. So, you know, come check us out. I think I may sign up for the virtual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah man. I mean, um, with everything going on, how did it, I mean, looking back, going from pitching your story 20 to 30 times a day to getting, you know, a Saks Fifth endorsement and everything like that, you know, Looking back on everything, I won't say was it worth it. Do you think you would have changed anything about your past, or would you relive it again just to get back to where you are today? Uh, you know, that's that's a hard question. I mean, I I don't know. I, I I guess I guess not. You know, and I and I miss I miss those times too. You know, I'm not gonna say like yo, I didn't have fun back then. I had a, a lot of friendships. You know, I see people still in the same neighborhood. Um, but yeah, no, I I don't think I anything you know um I, I think i would uh the only thing i think i would uh, try to be more patient and try to step out of the hood you know like i felt like the only thing i knew was this four corner and this is what ruled my life but i wish i would have like opened up my horizons at a very earlier age is there anything we can do about the school to prison pipeline i think opening up people's eyes like I mentioned like you know what we grew up when we grew up in some neighborhood that just you know encloses us in one sec and doesn't give us any economical advancement you know I feel like these kids now so there's I'm going to Florida uh to teach uh, a fitness class for like 500 kids and Florida City is like the highest crime rate in, in the whole state of Florida. Hmm. Uh, kids are junior high. You know, one of the, the, the dean at the school, he basically pays the kids for doing stuff, you know? And I feel like, yo, if my teacher would have gave me like 20 bucks, you know, to, you know, do something or pick something up or work something after school, you hmm. know, I would I would have had a different opportunity or a different light, you know? And then He's bringing in speakers like myself, other other people that are you know helping out and stuff like that. So I think you know bring in, um, and this is their school is called the uh, uh, Advanced Achieve Advanced Achievement Academy. Um, so mm -hmm. check them out. Talk to them. 
Yeah, shouts yeah. out to them. Yeah. More trades in school. That's what I would say. Like, no matter what it is, carpentry, like you said, uh, what you teaching, um, showing people, you know, basically how to exercise, you know, all that type of stuff, whether it's working on computers now. Yeah, I just I say, whatever I it is, STEM, trades man. needs to be in school because, you know, when you get out in the world, your education, most of the stuff you forget anyway. So at least yep. you have some type of trade to make some uh, kind of income so you won't be pulled into the streets of your homeboys. Yep. Yeah, we definitely. But I want to ask you one question before we go. Uh, you believe in the Lord? You believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I feel like my, my, my story gets deeper and um, I've read the Bible from front to back. Uh, one, one uh, the, the verse that, that really changed me while I was incarcerated in, in solitary confinement that opened up my eyes was Psalm 91. Uh, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say the Lord, he is my shelter and my fortress, my God and who I trust. Yes, what I get from that is to trust the process, you know? Mm. And you're doing the right thing and right things will happen. You know, there's going to be downfalls, there's going to be, you know, great things that happen, but just keep trusting the process, you know, and, and things will, you know, pop off and God will protect us. So. God bless you, Amen brother. Thank that. you so much. And that. hold on, wait a second before we hit the button. Yeah. We, we come out, we come out to New York. You, you got to show us around, you know, we got to come out yeah, to the man. gym, you know, you got to show us where, where, where the best food hey. out there or, you know, you whatever it is. You don't need that. Like, I can just, we can just walk in or we need, we got to, you know, Gonna have so we gotta show anything before we come in there. Just hit me up. That's it. All okay. right. Oh, before we get out of here, one more thing. Do you eat a specific kind of way? Or like are you vegan or something like that? Nah, I I you know, everybody has their own diet. I believe in like keto diet. Okay. Um, there we go. Basically, just like you know, taking out carbs. I don't do it all the time, I do it for a short amount of time. Um, and, and I fluctuate, you know. Uh, I go up and down a weight, but I, when I want to lose a little bit of weight faster, I, I go straight keto. Got so. you. Hey, we'll right, we appreciate you and congratulations Absolutely. on everything. And most of all, you change your mindset, which, you know, change your life, the people's life around you, your family's life, man. And, and your blessings are rolling in for you and you keep going with it. Yeah. You know, no, thank no, you thank for giving you, us your time. No, thank you. We're going to definitely keep in touch, man. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. You. Appreciate Peace. you, sir. You have a nice one, man. All right.